You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ for conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. This week's topic, when should we bet? Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? I am doing really well. Anybody who's been on our YouTube channel will know that I was in a funk about midway through the week, but I have turned that around. I'm doing great at the moment. We got some great news in a little game that we like to play with School of Cards members, and somebody told us that they had saved a lot of money by listening to The Sin of Limping. They stopped limping in their game, and they feel that made them about $1,000. So that was awesome. Made me feel better. That is fantastic news. They should go to anchor.fm slash support. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a little bit of the $1,000. <laughs> wow, that was a shameless plug, and we just started right out, right off the bat. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Since the last time we recorded an episode, I spent two weekends and a week on vacation. The first leg of the journey was with family, and I played a ton of golf caught the bug and want to buy a golf membership at a local course. The second leg of the journey was with our college friends. We get together every year. We've been doing it every year since we graduated in 1999. Yes, I am dating myself, but that's fine. Except last year, of course, due to COVID. We had a great time. Fantastic time. And now I'm back. I haven't played poker in like four weeks. So this past Friday was my first week back and I had a pretty profitable session. I ended up making about $300 at 2.5. And the funniest thing is that I lost a ton of hands. And I'm convinced that I lost pretty close to the minimum in each of those hands because I was ranging players better than I had before. I've been trying to put out content on YouTube with hand reading exercises. So I'm pulling random hands from my Poker Tracker 4 database. I don't know if I won or lost, but I'm finding hands that went to showdown. And so I'm working through those hands. I'm not as good at game speed as I am off table, and we never are, right? You always have a lag when you're at game speed. You can take your time when you do off table work. But the fact that I'm putting this work in and I'm seeing results even after having not played in like four weeks is encouraging. So I want to thank you for that because you helping to convince me to do this podcast and actually get this done, I think has been a huge contributing factor to that. So thank you, man. No, no problem. You're welcome. Now, now if we can only fix my game, because that same game that we were playing where a gentleman said that we had helped him make a little bit of money, we had another friend who I was able to read her hand every time I was in a hand with her, and I still couldn't manage to take and get myself to fold. So, <laughs> so. Well, that's a different problem. Yeah, it certainly is. You are figuring out what they have. You just can't find that fold button. <laughs> that might be a mental game issue. And I don't think we've done that many episodes about mental games. So that might be a future podcast. But that's also part of your journey. I mean, you're actually starting to record YouTube videos about your poker journey. So that's cool. Yeah, it is. And just a shout out to her. And we're not going to mention her name because she deserves her privacy. She had played a hand against me. She called 7-6. Now, we were about 300 big blinds deep. And I gave her grief in the game about calling me with 7-6. I had King King. I was actually wrong because I was just, like I said, I was in a funk last week and I let it affect my behavior. But she actually played hand brilliantly and she flopped trip sixes and uh, she got to stack me off. And I'm really happy that she did that because she said one of the reasons she played that hand is she said, this is a hand that Dell would play 
and this is the way we play it. So I think this is really good. I feel good that our podcast is having a positive effect on some uh, players out there and maybe making them some more money. Excellent. So this week, we want to talk about another deceptively simple topic, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it because last week I said, why are we covering this topic of why are we betting? That seems ridiculously simple. And we took a half an hour easily talking about that entire concept and mentioning that there will be future concepts related to it, like this week, when do we bet? Now, again, this seems ridiculously simple, and I know I'm making a mistake by saying that. It's like at work, whenever I'm in some kind of meeting and someone says, oh yeah, it won't be too hard to do blah, 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 blah. It's always hard to do blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah, I do the same thing at work. Be like, oh, yeah, that's going to take 15 minutes. As a matter of fact, I did this last week. That'll take us 15 minutes to do. So an hour and a half later, it still wasn't done <laughs> and uh, still struggling with it. So, yeah. All right. But we're not going to have an hour and a half long podcast about when we're betting. But what exactly are we covering? So what is this topic? Walk us through it, Dell. All right. The thing is, what happens, again, this goes back to a conversation with Dominic and Nia. He spurred this on for me because we were trying to talk about bet sizing. And a lot of the people involved in the discussion were having trouble even talking about it. And and he brought up, and I know I said this last week, but I got to give a little bit of backstory on why we're doing this. And he brought up the fact that a lot of players don't even know when to bet, which is why we did the podcast last week, because I took that a step further. And a lot of players don't even know why they're betting. So this is the next natural evolution in that, discussing when we're betting. What happens is people don't understand. They tend to bet on a whim or they bet because they feel like it, but there's no strong logic behind it. The reverse is just as true. Like somebody would be like, I'm afraid of monsters under the bed, so I'm not going to bet. Like the couple episodes back, you mentioned the guy who had a boat who didn't bet because he was afraid of a bigger boat. The thing that I will say is that betting on a whim is never a good reason. Not betting out of fear is never a good reason. We have to have a good logical process for deciding when we're going to bet. And a lot of that starts with classifying our flops and then deciding what class our hands fall into and how that flop reacts with our range. The problem that we're addressing today is trying to get people to understand when to bet. And we're going to provide some solutions and some tools. So I don't know if you could walk us through quickly what those solutions and tools would be. But before you do, I want to add one thing about when to bet. And you had mentioned whims and fear. I would also add boredom. If you think you're card dead and you think you're flop dead and you decide to play a hand that is outside of your construction because you're bored, that is also a bad reason. I agree. I agree. So when we're looking at this in... in Like pre-flop is simple, or at least it should be. If you're struggling with pre-flop, you need to go back to your range construction and work there. But pre, you know, it tends to be easy. We have a hand that is in our range. We're going to play it. We're going to raise it. Maybe it's in our three bet range and we're going to raise that. Pre-flop should be pretty standard. What starts to get complex is when we get to the flop and people make a bet, they'll continuation bet because they were told that they should continuation bet. Well, nowadays, and the thing is, is poker is always evolving, but the general standard right now is the thought process is we ought to be betting about 70% c-bet. Well, why is that? Well, we're betting about 70% of c-bets mostly because as if we're the pre-flop aggressor, we're going to have about 70% of the flops come out that are going to benefit our range because we're dealing with an uncapped range. But we don't want to be betting 100%. So what are those 30% that we're not betting? One of the problems that comes up is I'm the pre-flop aggressor. Do I bet this flop? What if it's a super wet flop, all low cards, do I bet that flop? If I hit it, I, I was a pre-flop aggressor, but I hit it. Do we need to bet it? 
Probably not, because your opponent, that's going to have hammered your opponent's range more than yours. So there's a good chance that they may, even on a subconscious level, know that and take a shot at it. And if you do bet it, you're probably going to get paid. You don't have to not bet it. But there are flops that are going to not be advantageous to our hand, and we need to not bet those. So when are we betting? Well, we're betting when we have a certain class of hands. Is our hand a value hand? Well, yeah, we're going to be betting that most of the time, especially if we're the aggressor. If we're not the aggressor, there might be an opportunity to check raise, or there might be an opportunity to let our opponent do the betting for us. But we need to know why. Why are we doing that? Well, because... Part of it is knowing our opponent. Will they take and do the betting? Then you have another class of hands where it's a showdown value type hand. Well, this hand doesn't want to be betting. And then a good example of that would be you got a pair of aces pre-flop and the flop comes out super wet, super coordinated. It's not really good for you to be betting into that flop a lot, especially if the turn gets even worse. And by the river, the next thing you're looking at is like you got a four flush on there. Do you really want to bet? Your hand still has showdown value. You don't want to give up that showdown value by betting and just throwing money away. So what you mean by showdown value is that you could potentially win the pot. It may be unlikely, but you may still win, so you don't really want to bloat the pot. I don't know if unlikely would be the right way to phrase it, but what what you have is you have a hand that has a chance to win but is not strong. It's not even of medium strength anymore. And I mentioned aces and I brought that up because what happens a lot of people, no matter what, that's a strong hand to them. On every street, they think it's a strong hand, but it's not. It's just one pair. That's why I brought that up. So yes, exactly. Kind of like what you said, but I don't know if I'd say unlikely to win. I'd say you got a good 30 to 40% chance of winning. You know, that that's decent showdown. Maybe even down as low as 20%, but that's still a good chance of winning. Let me ask you a question here, because we're talking about value hands. Last week, we mentioned thin value, and now we're also mentioning showdown value. How would you rank those in order of likelihood to win a hand and the degree to which we should bet those? All right. So first of all, a value hand has a high degree chance of winning it. It's got the highest degree of anything. That's why it's a value hand. We are always betting this hand to try and get max value for it. So this is, you know, this is our top rank hands. These are hands that we're going to bet and we're going to mix them in with bluffs so we protect their value. But the reality is, is we're betting these hands to get as much value from our opponents as possible. After that would be thin value. It's called thin value for a reason. You think you probably have the best hand. You want to get one last street of value. But if you get raised, what are you doing with that hand? Are you going to call? You're going to fold. Right. Because it's thin value. And if you're getting raised, chances are you you haven't won. And lastly is showdown value. You don't even want to face a bet. You're trying to get there as cheaply as possible, show it down, and hope that you won. Oftentimes that showdown value hand is going to get shifted to a flat-out fold. It's not. It wasn't very strong to begin with. Another reason to bet is when we bluff. Well, people tend to bluff on a whim. How many people you know just thought, I thought I could push him off his hand. Well, why? What was your reasoning? What was the logic? When we're betting, we should be betting because the story makes sense. Listen, I played so bad last week that I could bring up that game for a hundred different topics. I shoved on a river on a on a situation for you that was, I, I don't have much left. I might as well shove and see if I win. Well, that was a poor reason. There was no logic. I didn't have any blockers to what you could have. It has to be, you know, does he have a range that can fold here? Do, is there something that I'm blocking what, what he would have here if he was going to call? So I think that when we look at this, so often it's done just out of feel, just out of emotion. 
Well, emotion is is a poker player's enemy. We don't want to be betting out of emotion. And here's the truth. You and I cannot cover every situation when a person should bet and every situation when they can't. This podcast won't answer that question. You might gleam some out of it. You might say, I've been betting those showdown value hands, and maybe I don't. Maybe I shouldn't bet them anymore. Reality is the way you're going to have to take and go about really putting this information to use is to start doing the off-table work and looking at hands and seeing what their equity is and what they can do. Like, it's possible, not likely, but possible that a showdown hand might switch into that bluff category. I can bluff this hand because I think this might be what they'd have and I might be able to take and but it's not likely. But you find that stuff out when you start doing the off-table work. When you start taking and pulling out Equilab and Flopzilla and maybe you run some solvers, I'll be honest with you, unless you're at a higher level, rather than going out and buying us, purchasing a solver and running it, there's a lot of people already out there doing it and they're giving the information away, most of them for free. Pay attention to it. They'll tell you what you should do with a lot of hands. <laughs> I think I just mentioned some tools, and I know that it's getting redundant. It seems like every week I mention Flopzilla, Poker Cruncher, and Equilab. Well, there's a reason. Those tools, one of them's free, <laughs> and they're very effective at making you better at your game. Yeah, they are all reasonably priced. I have Poker Cruncher on my phone. I have an Android. It was a free download. Flopzilla cost me, what, 30 bucks, And $30 is... 10 big blinds at 1-3, 6 big blinds at 2-5. I made $72 Friday in two hands pre-flop with just ISO raising and 3-betting. Right there, I had enough money to buy not only Poker Cruncher, well, that's free, and Flopzilla, but also Poker Tracker 4 if you're trying to have an online database so you can review hand histories. These are inexpensive products given the trajectory of your poker career. If you're going to be spending thousands of dollars over the course of your poker career, dropping 25, 30 bucks is nothing. The fact that some people are unwilling to do that just shows you how little they are interested in improving their game. I do want to bring up one point that you had mentioned, and it goes back to the story of our hand. Understanding the story of the hand and narrowing the opponent's range from street to street to street will help us identify when we get to the turn in the river whether we want to employ an equity realization strategy or an equity denial strategy. And when we get to the river and we have an idea that our hand, we're no longer talking about ranges. When we get to the river, we're talking about like hands because by the time you get to the river you should have narrowed the opponent's range to maybe 5 10 15 hands You're not talking about all 1326 combinations at this point by the time we get to the river we should have a better understanding of whether our hand has a high likelihood of winning or a medium chance of winning or a little chance of winning and then we should figure out okay if we have a high chance of winning we have value let's play this for a value hand let's bet this let's raise it if it has like a midland chance of winning then okay thin value make a thin value bet if we get raised we can fold if we think we might win but we really don't want to bloat the pot because we don't want to bet we just want to maybe check call or even check fold then we could go into the showdown class and i think our friend from a few weeks ago who didn't want to bet his boat out of fear for a bigger boat had mistakenly put his boat into the showdown value class instead of a value class. And had I known better, I would have told him that and he would not have understand a single word I said.
you could have recommended this uh, podcast and maybe you'd have gotten better at playing poker. But then again, you're playing against them. Maybe you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, actually, shameless plug here. Dell has created poker chips with our logo on them. I brought a chip with me Friday and I put it on my stack. Four players asked me, hey, what's that orange chip? And I told them, I explained our podcast. I said what you and I were doing. They wanted to look at it. And I said, here you go. It's got our podcast name on it. And one of them said that he would check out the podcast. It's a great conversation piece. Yeah, I don't mind that my field of opponents takes this podcast. If anything else, it would help me become a better player. And I would enjoy it more because I would play against more competent players. This has been really awesome. Do we have more we want to share here? What about hands that need protection? Oh, forgot about that. That's another class of hands. We're going to have times when we're going to have a hand and it's going to be a value hand, but it's not going to be a super strong value hand. And we're going to be facing stuff like possible overcards coming, flush draws, straight draws, wet boards, and our hand might need protection. And that's another time to bet. I'm not going to really get into the sizing of any of these because the, the thing is, is we've talked about this and we've talked about our hand classes and, and when, when we want to bet these hands. But the reality is, is that each of these classes requires a different bet size, which is it's going to be a nice little segue into this statement. This is like the second in a series on betting, and we're going to have a third. And it may not be our next podcast, but we will have a third in the series on this. It's going to be on bet sizing and why. Protection hands that there's going to be times we're going to need to protection bet in order to ensure we're protecting our equity. We, we got a good amount of equity. We want to protect that equity. And what we're really doing is we're pushing that equity through to the next street. I have one more tool that we can share. And this involves your community, whatever community you find yourself in. If you can post hand histories and explain the rationale, like we mentioned last week, if you can understand whether you should have bet there, that will help. You'll get feedback from your community. If you can bounce these ideas off competent, well-studied poker friends or colleagues or anyone in some forum that you belong to, and you can get some feedback on whether your bet made sense, either as a value, as a showdown, as thin value, or even as a bluff. Because let's face it, we should not only be betting when we have the nuts. If we do not have bluffs in our range, we'll be highly exploitable because everyone at the table, caveat, only those people who pay attention, would realize that we're betting only when we have it. And they can deny us equity incredibly easy just by folding. So we do need to have some bluffs in our range, but the rationale on when to bet with your bluffs is the same as when to bet with your value or your showdown or your thin value hands. You just need to mix it up based on your range construction. And getting feedback from your community is the best way I know how to improve. I agree. So I think that hand histories is a greatly underutilized tool in, in our learning process. And the way that needs to work, in my opinion, I'm going to give it, is that you don't just put out what happened in the hand. You put out what your thought process was on every street. Here's the problem. And this is something we have to fight as poker players. When you're putting out that thought process, try to remember it as honestly as possible. And now, by the way, nobody, and I do mean nobody, remembers that process, that thought process, perfectly honestly. But try to make sure that you're, you're as close to honest as possible because that's the way your counterparts can help you the most. That's the way they can give you the honest criticism you need to improve as a poker player. 
and I would I would suggest trying that in everything in life. You know, when you try to take and talk about why you did something, always make sure you're trying to be as honest as possible. It's really just the best way to go through life. I agree. If you sugarcoat a narrative, the only feedback you're going to receive is feedback on the sugarcoated narrative. Sugarcoating a narrative does no one any good because it wastes the other person's time giving you feedback on a scenario that is contrived. It wastes your time because you don't get feedback on what you actually need. You get feedback on what you want to hear, and that will only further entrench your erroneous beliefs. All right, I think that's it for this week, Dell. Do you have any other topics to discuss? I, no, I think I, I think we've covered this, and I hope that uh, everybody who listens to this uh, got a little bit better today. Maybe we made somebody else able to make a little more money. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Dell. As always, it's been a treat. Bye. And until next week, this is The Blind Stealing the Blinds. Like what you heard? Head over to anchor.fm slash the blind stealing the blinds to subscribe, access our show archive, and find us on the socials to continue the conversation. While you're there, you can also support the show. One blind per month is all we ask.